there's Jeff and there's Dwayne and there's lots of people, Cindy and Susan. This is so exciting. I always say this is the best part of the whole thing because you, why don't you do it as well? Look at, look at each box as it comes up and some of the people you might know if you've been coming for a while. And if it's your first time, look at all these people. And all of a sudden, we are magically in a room together. Isn't that amazing? It's kind of, it's like Vogish now. Oh, Bonnie and Bob are here. It's Vogish to say, oh, I'm all zoomed out and I can't bear the Zoom anymore. But when you think about it, it's incredible that there's somebody probably outside of the United States, maybe in Europe, maybe in Australia, who is sitting in a room with us looking at each other. And, you know, it, it's, you know, maybe it's not the best for your back to sit all day long, but it's amazing to be able to sit and look at people thousands of miles away. Put in the chat if you live outside of the United States. Put in the chat Canada or, okay, let's see. Wait, wait, not so fast. Germany, Calgary. Uh, da, da, da. Uh, okay. Istanbul. Wow. Wow, wow. I love that. This, this is one of my favorite moments. And there's Mark. I haven't seen you in a while. And Sharon. Look at this. Tish. Tish lives up in Seattle now, I think. Seattle? Portland? Somewhere up there. This is the best part. Oh, I can look over here and see where people are. Turkey, Germany, Canada, Calgary, Brazil. There. Look at that. That is great. That, it, it's just amazing to me. It's amazing. My my friend, uh, my friend Susan Felix, who many of you know because but back in the day when we were going to actually Spirit Rock in the physical place, Susan Felix was often there and she was a good friend of many of us for a long time. She's still alive, but she has a very, very serious illness for a long time. And uh, she, she had some uh, uh, way on your computer that you automatically sign your letters with an automatic salary that you put at the end of your uh, emails and hers always said stay amazed Susan and I always admired that and she said I said oh I wish I had that and she said well you can have it why don't you just take it you can have it also I said no 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 you already have it so then I thought well maybe I'll I'll take uh, stay astonished <laughs> But I don't want to seem like I'm trying to one-up Susan, so I haven't done anything. Anyway, I hear that Susan, in in spite of a lot of concern that she would not be alive still, is alive still. And I am in touch with her, so uh, I, I just wanted you to know she's comfortable and at ease in whatever is happening. She has a very strange illness, but she's happy to know that you're thinking of her. And we are. That's particularly why I mentioned her name. Here we are. Okay. So, uh, Carlita, 
has taken over the place that Tolan had for a long time uh, in um, being in the, 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 what do you call what you are, Carlita? Uh, we are retreat coordinators and specific now for online. So online retreat coordinator. Don't you get thrilled, Carlita, when you see there are people in Germany and Istanbul and here and there? Isn't that I love right? it. Yeah. I love it. I think it's phenomenal. It's magic. Otherwise, they could never come to a retreat. And now they do. So here we are. And by the way, before I forget, and Carlita is going to give you all kinds of instructions. There is a retreat uh, at Spirit Rock that you can come to this Saturday and Sunday from 10 to 5, both days. It's Donald Rothberg and me, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Go online, sign up. We'll be happy to see you. Uh, it has something to do with this being the dark time of the year and uh, uh, techniques for uh, uh, going from difficult and tight and dark places to waking up. But if you think about it, we could do the same retreat in the summer because this is all about how to navigate a life that inevitably is filled with difficult and dark places, whether they're geographically dark or uh, astronomically dark or internally dark places. And we are always navigating our way out of it. So if you want to come this weekend, I am inviting you to go online and register. You can do that. Okay, now... Here, I, I'm glad to do that because otherwise I would surely forget. And Donald told me a bunch of times, don't forget. Okay, here I am. Now here's Carlita. All right, beautiful. Thank you so much, Sylvia. And yes, indeed, just to say it's an honor to welcome each of you today to Spirit Rock Online. As many of you may know, this particular Wednesday class, along with our Monday night series, is the longest standing class at Spirit Rock. So if you've never been to Spirit Rock, we are located in Woodacre, California, on the unceded land of the Coast Miwok people who have been caring for their ancestral lands for generations. As Sylvia mentioned, my name is Carlita. I will be your Zoom host for the day, and I will just real briefly go over a few helpful tips and tricks to make sure that we make the most of our time together. Uh, uh, as many of you know, right now, the microphones have been turned off completely to maintain the environment of noble silence during our talk and our meditation. That said, We'll have ample time for questions and discussions later on. If you would like to ask a question, we do kindly request that you use the raise hand Zoom function. Uh, if you're on a newer version of Zoom, that's going to be found in the reactions icon on the bottom part of your screen. If you're on an older version, it will be under participants. But if you have any issues whatsoever locating that, please feel free to send me a chat at any time. Uh, in terms of the chat function, we do kindly request that you please refrain from directly chatting Sylvia during the program. But as mentioned, feel free to chat me at any time if you have any problems. Now, another quick tip, if you'd like to alternate between gallery view and speaker view while you're uh, listening to the talks, please feel free to click the view icon that's located near the top right if you're on a computer and top left if you're on an iPad. Uh, and then lastly, a little uh, few tips. 
we will be recording today's session. As Sylvia noted, you can go and actually review many of the past talks on Dharma Seed. I'm going to send you the direct link that's right there. And then lastly, a few items of note. Uh, we've got some wonderful events happening on Spirit Rock Online. As Sylvia mentioned, there is the Winter Solstice Weekend, which will be led by her and Donald. That is happening online this weekend. And as well as a New Year's Transition Ceremony of Presence. That is going to be happening with Tanisara and Kitisaro on December 31st. So if you're looking for something to do at the end of the new year, or excuse me, before we bring in the new year, that's a beautiful uh, uh, program as well. And then lastly, we are also ringing in the new year, welcoming 2022 with intention, determination, and joy with Sylvia and friends. And that's going to be broadcasting from Spirit Rock on New Year's Day. So if you're interested in those programs and many more, again, I'm just going to put right here in the chat. Please feel free to check out calendar.spiritrock, if I can type this correctly, calendar.spiritrock.org. And all of that information will be right there for you. All right. Those are my announcements for today. And now without any further ado, if you will, join me in a deep bow as we welcome our wonderful teacher, Sylvia Borstein. Thank you, Carlita. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Donald and me this weekend and that you mentioned the New Year's Day. Uh, the, the team for New Year's Day is myself and uh, Brahmani Liebman, who many of you know, who's an extraordinary movement teacher who's been with me and the rest of the team at Spirit Rock on New Year's Day for low, I don't know how many years going. And this year, amazingly, we actually are going to be on site in that very room that we've all met before. And it's a big deal because the, the whole campus is so carefully sealed off and it's requiring a lot of effort on a lot of people's part to be able to get us all there and tested and uh, last minute tested before going into a building because the protocols for keeping everybody safe are enormous. But Spirit Rock has gone out of its way to let this particular day unfold there on the spot because, first of all, it, we hope people to be able to connect with uh, that beautiful room again. And also because uh, two of our people on our team are musicians. My, my friend uh, Barbara Bogatin, who's a symphony cellist, my friend Barbara Borden, who's a, a drummer, uh, are going to play uh, Bach duets on the drum and the cello. That all kinds of things happen that can happen online. And, uh, and Brahmani will lead movement, and the three of us will do the movement along with the people at home. So the Spirit Rock has made a big effort to make that room available to us. And so I really want to invite you to come. That'll, it'll really, we hope, be a very good beginning for a day. Okay, here we are. Uh, I, I have, uh, I, I told Carlita, uh, I think we decided that the, the name of today's teachings was Todas las cosas son temporal. Everything changes. Everything changes. 
That's the first line of a, a motto that I saw the last week. I was in Mexico last week. I was in Mexico at a wellness center, also with tremendous protocol, a wellness center where I go several times a year and uh, get to teach there as part of their faculty for a week each time. And I teach mindfulness. And they have a number of classes that are, most of their classes actually are physical fitness classes from six o'clock in the morning, every hour for the whole entire day. You could do Feldenkrais, you could do Pilates, you could do yoga, you could do yin and yin yoga, you could do uh, Zumba, you could do all kinds of things all day. You eat vegetarian food, it's a healthy week and it's 80 years old, this particular venue. They also, in recent years, have had the sub-program, the program that goes along with it, on inner fitness, talking about not just outer fitness or corporeal fitness, but inner fitness. What's inner fitness in the mind? How do we get along with people? And um, an ongoing mindfulness program that I'm pleased to be part of. And so, so the, the whole... Um, uh, genre of the whole place is fitness and how to be able to live in this world well. And all over the place, there are uh, boards with sayings to think about and to lift the mood. So uh, I'm going to ask uh, Carlita to put up the saying that, we're gonna, that I thought we'd start with today. There we go. I'm walking along one morning, taking a morning walk. I, I, I apologize for, I'm not a native speaker. And if we were together, I'd pick out a native speaker to read it. But todo en la vida es temporal. Si las cosas van bien, disfruta. Y si las cosas van mal, no te preocupes. No va a durar por siempre. Everything in life is temporary, impermanent. If things are going well, enjoy it. And if things are not going well, don't worry about it. It's not going to last forever. So I took that picture because, uh, first of all, I thought it was so sweet. Uh, and I actually wrote two pages of intense notes about all these different ways that you could think about it. But don't worry about that line. If things aren't going well, don't worry about it. Not only don't worry about it, but don't agitate it about it. It's going to pass. And in fact, uh, that the, the Buddha, I thought there was, it did not say who said that. But the Buddha could have said that. A lot of people said it more or less just like that. Mayor Baba, who was a... a, a fairly uh, well-known spiritual adept and teacher in the mid-20th century. had a, There was a wonderful poster of him uh, with a big smile. He was a big, beautiful face and a huge mustache. And it said on his poster, don't worry, be happy. And when I saw that always, I had a little bit of a... <laughs> Nice work if you can do it for as, as a as a person whose worry is their default, immediate default. 
that I thought to myself, okay. Um, there was a, at the same time, there were mottos. Uh, there was there was another big uh, poster of Swami Satchidananda, who uh, also was a teacher who had come to the United States in the mid-century, a great note. And uh, somehow this, of course, was not Satchidananda on a, a surfboard. It was his face on a body that appeared to be standing on a surfboard and in his, in his costume as Satchidananda uh, and riding the waves. And it said, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. So, okay, that was at the same time. Each time I think to myself, it makes it sound so easy. Don't worry about it. Surf the waves. The thing is, it's not that easy. One of the things that I am uh, often caught up with and think about is that the first book that I wrote a long time ago, 25 years ago, I wrote every single word of that book, I promise you myself. I didn't write the title. The title was written by the publicity department of HarperCollins. And they made up the title, It's Easier Than You Think. The Buddhist Way to Happiness. And over the years, uh, with more time that goes by, I think to myself, I have to put a caveat on this. Uh, It's easier than you think. It's also harder than you can imagine to change the habits of the mind. It's easy to read about that. It's easy to understand that if I weren't attached to things, I could just surf the waves. I could just continue on. Since I am attached to things and I have lots of people in my immediate life that I am very connected to and very attached to and love a lot, uh, that gets harder to do. I understand I'm not not going to not teach it. I'm really going to talk today about the first noble truth. And the fact that life is for everybody very complicated and doesn't mean it's only complicated or it's only difficult. It's also amazing and astonishing and fantastic and uh, precious and difficult and filled with challenges. And knowing that, I think, prepares us more and more to be able to make ourselves available to other people when they're in a time of challenge and we're not. But surf the waves doesn't work for much for me. Uh, and not for anybody else, I don't think. Because I feel deeply, and I think you do too. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this work together. Yesterday morning, I, I, there was a third person. It was Krishnamurti, was also a third uh, spiritual teacher of some note in the middle of the 20th century. And Krishnamurti was born in India and groomed to be a spiritual teacher who would take these extraordinary deep teachings to the West. And when he grew up and came to the United States, he decided, I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't want to be a spiritual teacher. I don't want to have that life in the limelight. He, he had a lot of limelight because he talked about the difficulties of life and how to live it, but not as an adept that that moved above problems. Uh, 
what did he say one time that was really so moving? He said, oh, this is what he said. I remember it was so startling to all of us who were meditation enthusiasts. He would say shocking things like, you don't really need to meditate. All you need to do is look around. Just look around. He had a special word for it. He called it become an observer. Become an observer. Don't be all caught up in it. Become an observer. And I, th- I, and I refound that yesterday when I was thinking about it. Isn't that what we do with the mindfulness? We become an observer. And we, accom- we accumulate wisdom. I don't think, I think wisdom more than anything else is the thing that allows us to say, okay, things happen. And things are happening to me now. And they will pass. But that doesn't mean I don't feel deeply about it. I remember very early in my practice history, I had a a meeting with Joseph Goldstein, who was one of my good friends and colleagues and a dear teacher to me with whom I did a lot of my practice. And it was a time when I suddenly found I was having a lot of profound awarenesses of temporality, temporality. I was just so overwhelmed with the speed with which even small things that I noticed came and left. I'd say to him, uh, this is in the middle of a retreat, so the mind is very subtle and very sensitive. I'd say to him, you know, everything is causing me to cry. There's a rose bush outside your uh, room here that I see every day when I come to see you for my meeting. And at first it was a bud, and then it opened and it was a beautiful rose. And then it was a really beautiful rose. And now it's just four days later and it's all brown around the edges and it's on its way out. And of course, that's the way things are. You know, everything has a lifespan. But at the time, that seemed so poignant to me. I'm just so, you know, it's all, it's all miraculous and it's all unfolding. And it's all precious because it's gone right away. The beautiful rose. And I said to him, I, you know, I, I don't know how this is. I heard you say that an awareness of temporality, that understanding impermanence is what's really supposed to set us free. But I said, it's so sad. And he looked at me and he said, it's not sad, Sylvia. It's true. So then I went out, but, you know, I'm always, I never gainsay a teacher. I'm so well behaved. I say, thank you very much. And I go out the door and I think to myself, it's just because it's true that I'm so touched. It's poignant. Everything has its moment and then it doesn't. It has its moment and then it doesn't. When my children were very young, I had... At at one point, I had four children, uh, and the oldest was five and a half. So it was very busy in my household. And in a moment of, I don't know, I thought great creativity on my part, I had a rafter in my kitchen, and I printed a motto. I printed it, and I painted a motto. It was in Hebrew, but the translation of the Hebrew, which is a common saying, but I had learned it in Hebrew, is this too will pass. Later, I had all those children. It was complicated. It was really intense. And the thing is, when I look back on it now, 
I think it's so past. The children I was thinking about have gray beards and some of them have retired because they're into their 60s. And where did that all go? And that's so touching. And where was that person who was in here, right here in this picture with me 60 years ago and is now this or that and everything passes. So I've been thinking a lot about passes this um, This pandemic, as it has iterations, people have been saying, I, you know, I'm losing patience with the pandemic, as if you could. <laughs> as if the pandemic would say, oh, I'm so sorry you've become impatient with me. Now I'll pass faster. You know? <laughs> like it's bothering the pandemic. <laughs> it's taking it personally. Uh, uh, Here we are. Usually I say a few things and then I, I say, well, now we'll just sit quietly and become fully here. I said more things and I would like, and I skipped over all those things. So as I said, this is not running straight forward. This is everything I thought about in the last few days that I wanted to say. So now I wanna say, let's take a minute now and do a small meditation. And then I'll talk a little bit more and then we'll do a longer meditation and then we can talk about it together. I'd like that and I hope that you would like it. So that's what we're doing. Probably, uh, probably five minutes, less than 10. But I really want to do a meditation and I'd really like to do a meditation that is a, uh, an, a, a um, exploration of temporality. And uh, one of the things about uh, teaching what the Buddha said, um, what the Buddha taught, at, is making the move from hearing it to actually getting it viscerally. From hearing the, the Buddha's penultimate se sentence in his life, where he said, uh, he's telling his monks he's about to die and he knows it. He says, this is the important thing to know. Uh, transient, transient are all created things. And everything that had a beginning has an end. That's what you're supposed to remember. It's, it's next to the last line he's reputed to have said. The last line is move into the future with confidence. I love that. But transient, everything is temporal. Todas las cosas son temporal. That's what we're supposed to learn. And on the one hand, you could say, well, everybody knows that. My children used to be young. Your children used to be young. Now they're older. I was young. Now I'm old. That all happens. And it happens when you look back once in a second. To get changed by it, I think we have to be somehow emotionally connected to the poignancy of that. We lose everything that's dear to us and we want more anyway. There's something about that. There's always a, a goalpost that we want more of. And it's touching that that's what humans do. So let's sit maybe five minutes.
I'll watch the clock. Sit, close your eyes if you want to, sit comfortably. Not a big deal. Be comfortable, make yourself at home. Feel your body sitting the way it is. Feel the whole of your body Filling with the stretching out of the lungs. Breath goes into your lungs, but your whole body moves. The ribcage spreads apart. Your back touches the back of the chair more fully. Feel yourself sitting more strongly. Let your attention rest with the way the body fills and stretches with an in-breath and then relaxes back on the out-breath. If you find it more comfortable or more direct for you to feel just the ribcage spreading and coming back, do that. You want to just feel the direction of the air as it comes in through your nostrils and then out. Do that. Choose one of those locations that feels most clear to you. And let your attention just rest, hover, not be separate from that actually be in that sensation. It's beginning and it's ending. It's beginning and it's ending. It's beginning and it's ending. We'll sit five minutes, as much as you can, in a relaxed way. Notice beginning and ending. If other things arise, a stream of thought about something, you notice that. Think beginning and ending. You notice that it'll probably end. Anything else that happens, beginning and ending. 
And when you want to open your eyes, Take a moment to just to notice for yourself what was your experience in that meditation, and maybe at the uh, at uh, the end of the class or another hour from now, when we have the time when we talk to each other, you'll want to say something about what you discovered in that sitting time. I was remembering, I remembered a thing uh, as I was sitting that, that came up in my mind. Um, I remember teaching a class, well, two classes that I remember. I remember teaching a class at, at, at a retreat center on the, uh, at Esalen, actually, so it doesn't matter if I say where. I was teaching a class in Esalen two or three decades ago, a long, long time ago. I was much younger and much more new and um, I think probably somewhat naive about the profundity of the things that I was teaching. And I was a two or three day course and I was teaching away in a room full of people and they were interested and they seemed happy. And uh, apparently in those days, I used the phrase, everything that arises passes away quite frequently, frequently enough for... Uh, one person at one time, at, at some time I said, of course, you can always know that whatever was going on, that everything that arises passes away. And this one person said, why do you keep on saying that? I hate it that you keep on saying that. Don't say that so much. Why are you saying it? And I said, all of a sudden, I, I, I said, <laughs> I really don't remember what I said. But now in this moment of telling you this story, I have a moment of real compassion. I hope I said something good to him. I hope I did not say something blithe like I said it because it's true. It's true, but it's also, it's it's really painful to think about that. There's a thing that the Buddha said, it's in the early teachings of the Buddha, where he makes a statement, everything that is dear to us causes pain. So that's a terrible thing to teach people, a terribly hard thing to teach people who are by and large householders or people with friends and people with personal relationships that are dear to us. And you say everything that's dear to us causes pain. They said people might actually say, fully on this Buddhism, I want to learn this. But here I was new and in the zeal of being a new Dharma teacher. I may have said it a little too much because the other side of it is everything that is dear to us does cause pain because everything changes and we lose everything that is dear to us, our youth, our health, our vitality, our loved ones, their health, whatever, because everything is changing. But we wouldn't trade that in for anything. We, we Somebody said, okay, let's have a reclusive and celibate life. Make nothing dear to you, which the early sutras make it sound like is a preferable choice. Nobody wants that. We The thing we want well, not so many people. Some people do. They really want the perfection of a quiet mind and the time to study and to not be troubled with uh, caring, uh, caring bonds that keep you tied up. 
But most of us want nothing more than carrying bonds. That I mean, all, <laughs> all the dating platforms alone, everybody's looking for someone who's just like them, who wants to be friends with them and partners with them and have a life with them. We grow up thinking we're going to have things and people and, and stuff that's dear to us. Uh, I'm thinking about... Um, I have several weekly uh, Zoom calls with friends of mine. Some of them are specifically because everybody on that Zoom is uh, a woman about 86 years old because we all graduated from college together. And uh, we are still friends and we talk to each other once a week. And we rejoice in the fact that we're 86 years old, but everybody can operate a computer. <laughs> And read a book and talk about it, but we're all acutely aware that we take more pills than we used to, and we have more handicaps than we used to, and we've had more travails than we used to. So even though everything that is dear to us causes the, the poignancy of I miss it, uh, we don't want we don't want not to have it. That's actually the great conundrum. We really want it. And we're willing to take the pain of possible loss and poignancy. I, I'm looking forward to the thing, uh, the, the day together on uh, January 1st. But I can tell you straight up front, I don't like Old Lang Syne. I don't like the song. It just makes me feel too sad. Maybe it does you. Put up your hand so I can see you. Visual hand. Make you sad. Old Lang, should old acquaintance be forgot? Doesn't make you sad makes me sad because a lot of old acquaintances are not here anymore. I've, they, we've gone apart or they've died or something has happened. Life is very poignant. I was going to tell you one other story, that poor man who said everything. Why do you keep saying that so much? And it just came to my mind this morning. So I said it because it's true, but I, I hope I said it nicely, more nicely than that. I also made a, a, a mistake about 30 years ago teaching. I hope it's 30 years ago. Maybe it's 40, but I've only been teaching for about 30. So uh, on another situation at Spirit Rock Meditation Center, as a matter of fact, as I remember, I was going blithely on and I was saying, talking about impermanence. And I said, even the worst things can happen to people, but time passes and everything passes. Eventually, even the terrible things that happen pass. And some person put up their hand and disagreed and said, I don't think so. I think some of the things that happened to me and the pain that I had from them, I am going to pass before the pain passes. And that was such a big lesson for me. That's such a big lesson for me. I felt silly and superficial at that time. How do I know how long it takes people to heal? Many people manage to heal after a loss, and some people don't. And that, and remembering that is a good thing for me to remember. Not to think that something's the matter with these people that they can't outgrow it or they can't get past it. They can't. The fact that they can't, and that we are so vulnerable to that kind of pain, is a cause I think of for the arousal of compassion. This is a time to say to you that I'm always thinking about what's the end game here? What do I want? 
why am I practicing? Why, why am I inviting you to see it this way, see it that way, to really look at uh, the fact that this moment is never going to be here again? That's okay. No moment is here again. That's just what it is. But to use it and to not, not, uh, what did someone say to me once? One of my teachers at some point said, it's your life, Sylvia, don't miss it. And that was actually a, a good correction. I remembered that. Even the difficult moments, don't miss it. Be there, be transformed by it. Because I really do believe that it is the being aware of the preciousness of life and the transiency of it that makes us kinder. You know, when you go in a hospital or a battleground or places where people are visually really pain and suffering and you lower your voice it becomes a sanctuary in some way you don't raise your voice in a hospital corridor outside an ICU unit because you really feel that you know life is very precious and these people are hanging on what if we everybody in the world got the idea that I you know that we are uh, got it about the temporality of everything. I got up yesterday morning thinking about, I'll put together all my thoughts for today. And I thought of Krishnamurti who said, don't meditate, just look around you and just watch what happens. So um, I got the newspaper gets delivered to me. I keep thinking about only, only getting it online, but I would miss things and I read it all together. So on the front page of yesterday's New York Times is um, it's, this is an aerial view of Dawson Springs, Kentucky. The governor said it's almost crushing how it feels. It's crushing how it feels. It's just really crushing. Oh, now now you can see it because there you go. I I noticed that Carlita has highlighted me. But it looks like rubble. And that's the former town of Carly, uh, uh, of Car Dawson Springs, not Carly, Dawson Springs, Kentucky. And the number of dead people is not yet clear. And what's also not clear is the stories that I hope are not true about the people in the Amazon. There's, the, the, there's a story that I hope it's a myth that people in the um, in a particular factory working three shifts because it's pre-Christmas and uh, the that's a candle factory working three shifts because it's Christmas and there are very high demand for the candles had heard the warning about the tornadoes and asked to leave and were told that if they left they'd lose their job. If that's true, they, they, you know, they had the feeling to leave and go home and see their family, and they didn't, and they died. And you know, you think, who would do that? What kind of people? What kind of employers would say you can't leave the job? I hope that's a myth. I hope it's not true. But the headline here is heroic stories from rubble of the storms. The heroic stories were all the people who got out, but then remembered that somebody else was taking a nap in a side room or something and ran back in to get them and the building fell on them. That 
I mean, really read stories about that lift you up in terms of people really looking around outside of themselves and thinking, what can I do? What can I do? Not how can I take care of myself? But also, if you don't know, you know, people go to work in the best of health or whatever they have health and they don't come home. And if we think about life being temporal, we figure, uh, I, I used to think about when I first started to be a Dharma student, the numbers of times my teachers would use the phrase old age, sickness, and death. I thought, well, old age, sickness, and death is a long time from now for me, for sure. So first of all, it's not required that you get old in order to die. Young people die. And sometimes quite suddenly and tragically because they leave families or you think about at this, at this point, the storm at last count was 74 people. That probably means 74 families and the parents of those families and the grandparents and the grandchildren and the this and the ways that that reaches down. Everybody who knows those 74 people. I was thinking as I was in Mexico, uh, it was a day, I can't even remember what it was. I, I was there for a week and I spent a lot of time meditating and not that much time teaching. I must say, I get to have a lot of free time, which is lovely because it's wonderful to walk around, and, uh, look at the Mexican desert in this time of the year. And I, I something came up in my own mind and I was uh, seeing my mind getting agitated about it and feeling badly for myself about a certain circumstance in my life, which was troubling me now. And my mind was grumbling over it. And I, I realized, wait a minute. First of all, you realize I don't feel well. I have this sort of a problem that exists. And I thought to myself, how many people in this world have this problem right now? And all of a sudden, as if magically, my level of uh, discomfort in my own mind just dissipated. There's got to be a million people in, my, in the world right now worrying about the same thing about themselves or some iteration of it. I'm not doing this alone. I'm not the only person in the world who has a worry about this or that. And I, th I thought to myself, I'm going to teach this, that years ago when we were doing metta, practice for the first time and teaching metta practice, you would think of think of somebody who's close to you, think of somebody who's reasonably close to you, think of somebody not so close to you, think of someone who's familiar, but you don't really know them, think about somebody that hurt you so that you keep them at a distance. And I remember years in which after that, you go to think about all beings everywhere. And I thought that, it, and it kind of was like, uh, amen at the end of a long hymn or something. Well, you don't think too much about the amen. You just amen and things. I think that's the most important part of the whole metta from me to this, to this, to this, to this, to this. There's a whole world of people this moment who have this or that aspect of what I have now and I'm painting about. And instead of thinking, oh, may I be better from this worry or may I be better from this physical pain, think about everybody in the world. I don't know how many times I must have said, really not blithely, but blithely, may all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. But I suddenly realized, ah, look what I just said. That's an amazing thing. 
and to suddenly have a sense, really, may all beings. It's not that I can affect it. I mean, I can't magically make all beings feel better. But when I, when my, whatever it is that's troubling me, when my discomfort in this moment, all of a sudden is, there's a realization, there's a whole world of people who have this. I physically felt and mentally felt that my mind was not, went from being self-preoccupied to thinking about the whole world and thinking that I'm not alone. Suffering is not alone. The bodhisattva vow is that suffering is endless. I vow to end it. And people say, well, you know, what does that mean? That's kind of some kind of Tibetan mumbo jumbo. What could it possibly mean? You can't run around the whole world. There's very few things that I can actually affect. But I can really recontextualize my own discomfort into I'm a person in the world and the world is suffering. Everybody is suffering. This happened in Dawson Springs yesterday, but things happened all over the world yesterday. Planes crashed, ships sank, people got run over, wars happened. Real whole, I think it's that kind of realization that transforms the mind to a permanent kindness. And people say, why are you practicing? What would you like? Uh, you want new insights? I was really interested in um, the first classes that I taught after the, uh, after I, the, well, the pandemic started. And uh, then I stopped teaching for some period of time because they were the, that was the, the last probably six months of my husband's life and he was dying and he was at home and he died peacefully at home last February. And we knew that was happening, but I wasn't, re I was sufficiently preoccupied with his illness and making him comfortable. I didn't feel myself available to plan lessons and to teach them. But then when I came back, Afterwards, after some months, and I came back. I thought about the whole period of time that we had been sequestered in here with his illness, that the whole world had been sequestered with the COVID, and we had all been on a long retreat. And what I I, I remember teaching as a class, name of a class, uh, what did you learn? Uh, what are the new insights? Because I was really eager to say I didn't have any new insights the insights that I had I had more profoundly than I'd had before whatever I'd said all of a sudden I get it this is what it really means I think I must say that from time to time do I say that from time to time now I really understand what this means I see Andrew say, don't I do that, Andrew? Every once in a while, I say, I never said that that well. I never got that that well. Todas las cosas son temporal. But to just know it or know it, you know, there's a line from the Buddha, which uh, every year, it seems to me, I have a new, this is the most important line in the whole Dharma feeling. It changes, whatever it is, the this from year to year. But this is the year of the Buddha saying in the Dhammapada, 
anyone who understands impermanence ceases to be contentious. Does that make sense to you? It's so all of a sudden makes sense to me. Since nothing is going to last, not this pain, not the pain of the insult, not this, this, not this, anything. Why would I want to cloud this moment, make it worse by resenting it in any way, by being contentious, by fighting with people? Does that make sense? It's so profoundly clear to me. You know, that you can disagree with people sometimes. I disagree with people sometimes. I don't feel like fighting about it. There's no point. What would I gain? Somebody say, okay, you were right. <laughs> I could be wrong anyway. If I, if I think to myself, this is your life, Sylvia. Don't miss it. The only way I can miss it is by... Uh, I don't want to say befouling the air of my mind, but really it's the right word, confusing my mind with stories about why this moment isn't right. My husband and I had a friend who died years ago, actually in his mid-30s, which was a, a young man's death, and he left a family and a career as a sportsman. I remember my, uh, a sports person I remember my husband telling me that this person had a bunch of kayaks suspended in his garage because he was a, uh, when he, uh, in his free time, he was a great kayaker. And he got breast cancer, which men sometimes get. It's very rare. And he sent out a letter. He wrote a letter that his family then sent out to all his friends after he had passed. And one of the lines in the letter was I would have wanted more, but I never wanted other. Don't you love that? It would be an amazing thing not to want other. You always want other. A little bit more, a little bit less. This could be good. Gild the lily. You know, it's hard to be content. You say, I'm just really pleased right now. May all beings be pleased. May all beings be content. Good night, guys. I really thought about uh, the, the promise of if you really got impermanence, all the fight would go out of your mind and, and everything else. Just cherish the moment and how hard it is to do that. And who can do that? I, I, uh, I, I read, I, many of you know, because I, tell, I talk about it a lot, is I read the New York Times style section every Sunday, and particularly because I read who got married. I like that. There's stories and they, they, it's become, have you seen it? It's worth looking at. Every week, there are three or four full pages of newspapers, of newspaper, of long stories about people getting married and who they marry and how that happened. And it, it would be a study in um, 
the change of mores in the 20th century, you know, among other things. Anyway, I read the story and they're all, and they, of course, I, I imagine lots of people present their story to the New York Times hoping that they're going to be picked. So uh, they're all particularly moving stories. And this particular story was about, uh, it is about uh, two women who met at, uh, in 2016, attending the National Convention of Women Leaders in College Sports. That's how they met. So they both of them have uh, jobs now. Um, and they've lived apart, it says, during all these years. It's four years. Um, or five. Because they have different jobs. One of them is the president of Global Diversity Logistics. And the other one is something else. Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor for Global Sports and Entertainer Entertainment at uh, Morgan Stanley. So they don't, they have not lived in the same city and it's been hard for them to get together, but they got together. And uh, one of them uh, is uh, a lung cancer survivor now battling breast cancer. So in this moment, they've chosen to get married. And then it says they were married November 11th at where they were with 250 people attending the ceremony where they were all needed to be fully vaccinated. And after the wedding, the pair tra traveled to Cabo San Lucas for a honeymoon. They said it was wonderful, but they just could stay four days because uh, one of them needed to come back to go to Kansas City, where her 97-year-old mother is in an assisted living place. And the other one remained in Phoenix, where she underwent a double mastectomy at an area hospital. That one with the double mastectomy says, she's quoted as saying, life happens. And the other one said, we also know that the situation that we're in right now will not last forever. Things will get better. I think to myself, here are two people who may or may not have heard of the Buddha, but they seem to me... Life happens, you know, that uh, uh, I think it's an iteration of you look around and this happened yesterday. Life happens. You can't even be mad at anybody. Can't be mad at any politicians for it. You can't be mad at anybody because there was a there was a tornado. Well, you could be mad at the uh, governments of the world that have not yet uh, tried more vigorously to stop climate change, which may or may not have caused this big spate of tornadoes. But ultimately, everything depends on everything. And here are these two women, remarkably, with or without having taken retreats and practicing that everything changes, got married, went and had a, a double mastectomy, went home to take care of her 97-year-old mother, and they say everything happens, you know, it'll get better. And, uh, you know, I, I think to myself, there must be a way to know how come some people can do that and some people can't. That's one of the great questions that keeps coming up in my mind. 
I think about it in all situations. I, uh, for some period of years, I, uh, when I was living up in uh, uh, Sonoma County, I was a congregant in uh, the uh, uh, in the synagogue in in uh, Santa Rosa, and there were two women who were. They were old women at the time. I, I think they were actually older than, they were probably my age when I met them and then they got older and older. And both of them literally were not sur just survivors of the Holocaust in Europe, but they had both been in camps. They'd been, one of them had been in Auschwitz, someone had been in another place and they had both been liberated from the, from the camps. And that is now 75 years ago. So it was, 55 years ago when I knew them. And uh, they both had, they were still alive when the camps were liberated. They both met American soldiers. They both married. They both came to the United States. They both had families. They, uh, they had successful long lives. And uh, uh, every once in a while, the rabbi would give a talk about something or other and some moral issue maybe or some life issue and then the rabbi would say who has something to say about that and one of those women would always have uh, always had an opinion or an addition and it would begin with the words well when i was back in the camp da 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 da, da and she'd say something else and the other one not the other one had very much more cheerful demeanor and over the years, I thought to myself, I need to be really careful not to, in my mind, be thinking either one of them was smarter than the other person or wiser than the other person or anything than the other person. The only thing I can learn from them is we can't know the degree of pain and how long it's going to take to get over something. How many people here have ever had somebody say, get over it? You know, there is no time limit on getting over it. Some things we can get over and some things like the person who said to me, I am going to be, I am, what, what did they say? Uh, I said, everything passes. And they said, I'm going to pass before this passes. And it's not possible by looking at a person to know the degree of their pain. And I think that that's not a sad thing to say. It's just an important thing to know. Because, because just generally to say, everybody suffers. And that's the first noble truth. Everybody suffers. Everybody is not in, the, none of us here on this call now are in, in a poverty state. We wouldn't be here if we were. All of us have a roof over our head. We can see that all of us are in houses with stuff in it, and furniture. And, and all of us, as far as I can see, are sitting up. But everybody's got stuff. I've got stuff, you've got stuff. And to be able to see past, oh, well, this person's got really important stuff and this person's got trivial stuff. Stuff, the, the, what the stuff is, it doesn't matter. The suffering is suffering. That's funny. I just remembered something completely, you know, I wouldn't have remembered it otherwise. I went to a week-long conference with uh, where the Dalai Lama was teaching 
the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life, uh, which is an important text. It's teaching chapter six, which is, I think, the chapter on patience. Uh, but it's it's really the chapter on not getting not letting anger express itself out of the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. And um, he taught morning and afternoon, morning and afternoon. And the entire hotel uh, in Tucson was taken up by people at the conference. There were 2,000 people. They filled up the, the, the whole hotel, this huge auditorium, awful. You had to have badges to get in. Morning, evening, morning, evening. And on the last day, uh, in the morning, His Holiness announced to the group before lunch that he said, uh, okay, after lunch this afternoon, since we finished the chapter, I'm, I'm going to uh, offer the, uh, 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 what do they call it? A, uh, not inauguration, the, uh, uh, I'm going to offer the Bodhisattva vow and you can decide to take the vow. So uh, you are invited to take the Bodhisattva vow. And so uh, we're going to break for lunch now and then I'll be back. And you can do the Bodhisattva vow. Anybody have any questions? And one person in the back, apparently, I remember it because he said that person in the back was your question. It's an initiation. I'm going to offer the initiation in the Bodhisattva vow. Person in the back, person in the back said, listen, I'm a devout Catholic. Would it be a bad thing for me to take that vow? So as Holiness says, wait, I'll, I'll, I'll think about that. He said, I don't think so. But I'll think about it. We'll come back to that in the afternoon. Come back in the afternoon. He comes in, comes in. Everybody stands up. And he comes in and he does three prostrations, formal prostrations. Then he sits down. I think he's going to start with the vow. And he said, uh, where's that person in the back there? It was so touching because he had the feeling that he had spent the whole lunchtime thinking about it. You know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But that he didn't, there was 2,000 people. And he said, where's the person in the back who had that question? And he said, I've been thinking about it. And I think it's fine for you to take the vow, he said, because after all, suffering is suffering. Compassion is compassion and a blessing is a blessing. And that, and then he went on to do the, the initiation. But that's what I think. That's really... That's what it's about, it's ubiquitous. It's not limited to Buddhism, but that who is in a religion? Who is any kind of religion which wants to convert hearts to kindness, wants to be able to say, peace be with you and also with you. May all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering, whether it's couched in this language or that language or the other language. That's what everybody wants. And you say, well, how can I make a, you know, I can't possibly be the Bodhisattva of compassion. It doesn't mean that you personally visit everybody. It means that for everybody, without resistance, you have those feelings. And my big discovery, increasingly, not this last week only, increasingly, is that it makes my mind content. That that's what I'd like to do with the rest of my life 
is really make sure that I'm not somehow may all beings except so-and-so who once said this to me, or may all beings who once hurt my feelings, or may those political people who are wrecking the planet know that that stuff is the stuff that really I don't want in my mind. I'd like really to be able to say with my whole heart, may all beings be peaceful and happy, really. It's called, um, in some in some presentations of the Metta Sutta, it's called the Buddha's teaching on impartial kindness. That's a lovely, you know, the Metta Sutta sounds like, what is that? It's his teaching on impartial kindness. So I thought we would be already sitting and I went on and on, but okay. Um, I forgot it. I'll be here next week. Huh. I didn't even have to go on and on. <laughs> now I just have to remember what I said this week. <laughs> and my memory is another thing. <laughs> That is proving to be temporal. So <laughs> maybe next week we'll say, if I launch into some story that I just told this week, you can do something like this. <laughs> I'll stop and say something else, but let's sit. Let's sit for, oh, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 22. How about that? And then we'll have time for questions. So... Uh, if a question occurs to it sometime, put up the, you know, the question, the, re, the reaction, from reactions, push question. But really think about it before you ask the question, because I want for you, first of all, to tell me, if you want to, how that initial uh, experience of meditating on the experience of arising and passing away was for you. And what it came for you, because let's not call it Q&A, let's call it discussion. You may have some other very good thing that you want to add and not ask about, and you are quite welcome to do that. I welcome it. Now we'll sit a little less so I could hear a little more. That would be great. 20 minutes, ready, set, go. Be comfortable, be present. Don't be, well, try not to be viewing your experience as if you're separate from it. Try instead to be the experience as it arises and passes away. Be with the experience of arising and passing away. Be with the breath in and out. Be with the thoughts. Be with what's arising and passing with a special awareness of something else just came up which is the same as saying something passed away. All right, now we'll sit.
in a minute, I'm going to invite you to open your eyes and look around at the people you're sharing space with. And I really would like to invite the people who are in front of their computers but don't have their picture to turn on your picture if you can. Just for a while so people can see you and wish you well. If it's not right for you to turn it on, then don't, but if you can. And I hope that you want to tell something or add something or ask something. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.